I think the, the, the learning that I got was working collaboratively with creative people, with designers, with um, writers, with art directors and photographers, illustrators, and again, bringing sort of uh, a different perspective, but really respecting what they did. I got a lot of joy from that. What I realized was not that they were my people, but that's where I, their creativity fueled mine, if that makes sense. So I brought a business perspective to their creativity and that felt really good. Podcasting from Boulder, Colorado. This is the Baby Got Backstory podcast, where we dive into the story behind the story of today's most inspiring storytellers, creators, and entrepreneurs. I like big backstories, and I cannot lie. I am your host, Mark Gutman. I'm Mark Gutman, and on today's episode of Baby Got Backstory, we are talking with Sean Parr of the design and innovation consultancy, Bulldog Drummond. And while I have your ear, if you're listening, I'm assuming you like our show. And if that's the case, please take a minute or two to rate and review us over at Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Apple and Spotify use these ratings as part of the algorithm that determines ratings on their charts. Better yet, please recommend this show to at least one friend you think will like it. That's what really good friends do. And if this is your first time listening, please consider subscribing. It's your subscriptions that make the show possible. All right, back to our show. As the governor, you like that kind of weird British accent that I just failed miserably at, and CEO of Bulldog Drummond, Sean is responsible for strategically directing each of Bulldog's key engagements, ensuring there's an uncommon sense methodology at the center of everything the company does. This approach maintains that the most complex challenges can be solved and the biggest opportunities can be realized by using a powerful combination of simplicity, common sense, and determination. He brings 20 plus years of innovation, design, brand, and business building experience to companies from Fortune 500s to purpose-driven startups. Sean helps leadership teams transform large multinational companies and passionate entrepreneurs launch new companies, products, and brands. He has worked with executive teams at companies including Adidas, Bolt House Farms, Campbell's, CMT, Diageo, Hilton, Heineken, H&R Block, IDEO, MTV, Mattel, Nike, Perch, Starbucks, Samsung, Tata Harper, Taco Bell, WD-40, Westfield, and World Vision, among many others. Those of you listening, do you recognize any of those brands? Wow. He writes for Fast Company, PSFK, and is a sought-after speaker. Sean lives in San Diego with his wife and three children, is a Dawn Patrol surfer, wannabe photographer, and avid cultural voyeur. And this is his story. I am here with Sean Parr, who is the governor and CEO of Bulldog Drummond. Sean, thank you for joining us. And Sean, if you wouldn't mind just by starting off by letting us know, what is Bulldog Drummond and what does the governor do? Uh, Mark, 
nice to be here. Thank you for the opportunity to chat. Uh, Bulldog Drummond is a design and innovation company. Uh, we're based in San Diego, and uh, we get up every day to help leaders unlock uh, the best in their organization. Solve a series of challenges, unlocking opportunities through the lens of brand. And the governor is um, a title that I sort of, I don't know, inherited a few years ago. It's a, an English title for a leader and uh, it stuck. So uh, I'm the CEO, Chief Strategy Officer of uh, the company. Been on the journey for about uh, 23 years here. Just a mere 23 years. And I like that. And when you talk about being a design and innovation company, if you would, if you could just clarify that, because I think a lot of people associate the word design with pretty pictures, imagery, logos. And I have a hunch, and we don't know each other that well, but uh, I have a hunch that you mean something a little bit different when you say design and innovation company. What is that? Yeah, so for us, design is a, a way of looking at the world to solve challenges and problems, to create value. So thinking through the lens of designing solutions, and sometimes it can be a strategy, sometimes it can be a service, sometimes it can be a visual manifestation, it can be a logo, it can be an identity, um, it can be a look and a feel. But yeah, it's an orientation towards solving challenges. Well, thanks. And in preparation for this interview, I was very curious as to what was Bulldog Drummond. And when I Google it, I get a, it's a fictional character created by H.C. McNeil, uh, which I've never heard of. And I'm an English person, you know, English literature person and uh, love to read and, and, and think of myself a bit as, you know, a well-read individual, but I've never heard of this book. And so is this the inspiration for the name of your, of your firm? Yeah, so I got here from London in 1991 and uh, launched Bordel Drummond in 97. And I wanted to build a brand. I wanted to create a platform that gave us permission to do certain things. And there were two names that I'd sort of come to the US with. One was Bordel Drummond. The other was Mad Dogs and Englishman. Mad Dogs and Englishman was taken. And Bulldog Drummond uh, was a fictional detective. I, I was given the book as a kid, and they were terrible books. There's a reason you didn't read them. There's a reason nobody studies them, because they're terrible. But he was like, a, I don't know, an ugly James Bond, and he solved problems. So really, the, the inspiration was that he was a detective. He solved problems, and that was sort of at the center of who Bulldog Drummond was, you know, in 97 and is today. We're in the business of being given a challenge. We solve a problem. We come to the table with a level of energy, personality, and sense of ourselves. And uh, back in 97, it was a license to behave badly. And today it is um, truly a, a brand that lives in a meaningful, deep way. And so you touched on this a little bit, but you, you mentioned, I think you got the, the books when you were, you know, younger, a young boy, and uh, you were first exposed to them. So when, did you grow up in the UK? I did. Yeah. And so as a, as a young boy in the UK, 
you know, what was Sean like? Were you into these things like brand and discovering, you know, identity and designing the way forward? Was that who you were as a, as a young boy? No, I, I mean, I, yes, in that I was, you know, fascinated by music. I was fascinated by fashion and personal identity. I was trying to figure out, was I a, was I a mod? Was I a modern romantic? You know, I didn't see myself as a punk rocker. I loved the aesthetic of the mod movement. I loved that type of music. I loved the liberation of, you know, new romantic music. So I was fascinated by design and culture as a teenager. My father was a very creative individual. He was a, he owned a produce store. He was a, he owned a pub, he owned an antique store. Um, he owned an import business. And he, he was extremely creative with merchandising and customer service in a very unique way. So I, I, that's where I suppose my exposure to design and aesthetic came from, interior design, retail design, but not in a, a sort of a, a formal way. Yeah. And so were you exposed to any of that kind of design in school or was it purely through your father and, you know, exposure to his entrepreneurial businesses? Were you, did you take on any sort of art or creative interest while you were at school? You know, art was, was a subject, but it wasn't a total fascination. And so for me, you know, the thing that I was fascinated by was, was literature, writing, you know, debate, the literary debating society was something I was stoked on. So no, not in a formal way. You know, I, th I think when you look back at the influences you have, I, I definitely look back on the way, you know, he represented his store, the music he put on, the, the way that he was involved with, you know, charities. So it was just, it was sort of, a, I don't know, design school of life, if you like. Yeah. And so why was that path not for you? Why? Or maybe you did, but uh, I'm, I'm assuming you didn't get into the family business. You didn't. You didn't go go that path. Why not? Well, I, you know, I used to get up at uh, four o'clock in the mornings as a teenager on the weekends and go to the to Covent Garden with him to buy vegetables and to load the van, unload the van, and set the store up. As I got a little bit older, I worked around the pub in the background. I went to antique markets. And, you know, again, I, I learned a lot from him, uh, but, you know, for a couple of different reasons, didn't get involved in the family business. It wrecked his marriage and didn't make him a particularly happy man. You know, it was hard, hard work in a, in a different way than, you know, modern hard workers, if that makes sense. No, for sure. And so I imagine that you had probably set that worldview or that opinion of where you wanted to be, which was not in that business uh, by the time that you were in, in high school. And, and so what did you think you wanted to do with your life at that point? What were you thinking the future was going to hold for Sean, you know, when you're getting ready to, to prepare to go out in the rest of the world? I, um, I actually thought that I wanted to be um, uh, an officer in the English army and, uh, I was uh, sorely uh, rejected with that one because my uh, my grades were not were not strong enough in uh, in the sciences, and so I, there was a period of time where I, I actually didn't know what I wanted to do. And uh, you know, at, at one point, I thought I wanted to be a, an accountant. So 
I was in that little chapter of sort of searching for perhaps where I could add value or where I could be inspired or whatever. And it took a little while to figure that out. Yeah. And so what was that like? I mean, you know, sounds like you might've been heartbroken to be rejected by the, the English army and realize that that, that wouldn't be for you. So, you know, what was that process like of, of figuring out, you know, what was your muse or what was your calling? As I look back, it was very frustrating not to know exactly what you wanted to do. It was, it just, it made you pick up things and turn them over and try them. And, uh, you know, I think a little rejection is, is good. It shapes your character. It moves you in a different direction. If I go back then and imagine like what I'm doing now, what I've had the, the privilege of doing for the last you know, 20 plus years, I could never have imagined that's what I want. That's what I would be doing. So I think there's, you know, we talk about, Hey, you design a path and you just follow it. Some people are lucky to do that. Some people like they just have that burning passion. I think my path has been trying uh, early on, trying a lot of things. And then, you know, by luck and by relationship and by, you know, sheer will at times getting on a path that I absolutely love. Yeah. And so how old were you when you were in this stage of experimentation and what were some of the things that you tried that uh, you realized weren't for you? So I was uh, in my early, early twenties. I, I thought I wanted to be an accountant. I actually worked in a, it was probably the precursor to David Brent's office. I worked for a, a tower crane and, um, you know, construction plant hire business. And I worked with an incredible guy who was just very organized and he ran all of the, the tower cranes that were rented out through London. And, but he was, he was in finance. And, you know, everybody that was in finance in this organization were, they had responsibility, they, you know, they had influence, they had an interesting, what looked like an interesting existence. So I thought, okay, I'm going to be an accountant and I can go down that path. And, you know, started down that path and wasn't, wasn't for me. And so when you realized it wasn't for you, then what'd you do? Uh, so there was a, there was a fantastic company that uh, was in the, the real estate and finance space. Um, and uh, it was a brand. It stood out. It had, it had a level of consistency and uniformity and service. And they had a, a sales position. And uh, I applied for it, got the job, and uh, very, very quickly you know, moved into a direct sales director position, sales and marketing director position, you know, running a team. It was a sort of a pretty rapid um, path to responsibility. And uh, it was, that was the sort of the beginning of connecting the dots back to design. And I didn't, at the time, I didn't think of it as brand. I didn't call it brand. I didn't call it strategy. I didn't call it design or customer experience. It was just being part of something that was cohesive and different and had energy and it was youthful and it was successful and it was making a difference in people's lives. Um, so that was, that led me to um, a situation where I was responsible for our ad agency and was the client and uh, had a great relationship with them. And so 
they, I don't know, maybe six or seven months into our relationship said, we, we want to grow our business. Um, you know, we'd love to offer you an opportunity to come join us. So I moved from technically being a client, a young client, into running a, an ad agency with the responsibility of growing it. And uh, that sort of was the beginning of that sort of formal transition into advertising, design, innovation, consulting. Yeah. And so it sounds like to this point, other than learning on the job with your father and learning on the job with the real estate company, you haven't had any real formal education around brand advertising any of these things you're learning you know you're learning on the job so you go and you take this larger role at an advertising agency i mean what was that like i mean were you well suited for that did you just struggle at first like what was what was that experience like so i think um i bought a lot of perspective where i had been the client so almost having a client inside of this agency, this, this team of people that had been pure agency people, that it was a design studio, a production studio, a media buying team. So I, I had a different perspective and I, re, I really respected their different perspective and approach. So I think we learned together. And I think that was a good example of, you know, different areas of expertise or experience coming together can actually be better. And, uh, yeah, it was um, the thing that I, I you know, I, I was schooled in in the, the prior projects, works, uh, responsibilities were, were juggling many expectations, many projects, many deadlines, many complexities. So I think that piece was easy, if you like, or wasn't complicated. I think the, the, the learning that I got was working collaboratively with creative people, with designers, with um, writers, with art directors and photographers, illustrators, and again, bringing sort of uh, a different perspective, but really respecting what they did. And uh, I got a lot of joy from that. I, what I realized was not that they were my people, but that's where I, I like, uh, their creativity fueled mine, if that makes sense. So I bought a business perspective to their creativity. And there was just, that was, that felt really good. Yeah. And is this where kind of that light bulb, that uh, proverbial light bulb goes off where you're like, maybe I found it. Maybe, you know, maybe I found the thing that I'm supposed to be settling into. Was this, was this the time? Yeah. I, I think that um, to some degree, yes. The ability to build and create and have value but I think that didn't really come until I got to California. There was still a, the UK or London, you know, while it was dynamic, still had sort of this, rather than, yes, you can, it had this, well, maybe you can. And when I got, you know, oh, I'm sorry. No, I don't think you should do that. Maybe, maybe don't, maybe not. I'm sorry. No, 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 that's not possible. Whereas I got to California and it was like, wow, everybody's got this energy about them, this, uh, just this optimism, this, there's nothing you can't do. It's full of possibilities. So it was coming here that just gave me that sense of, oh my gosh. And, you know, I think with the, the rise of the design movement, if you like, the rise of entrepreneurism here with the advent of, 
you know, the web, it, it just was, I was like, I became, I realized I was like a kid in a candy store. Yeah. And so what brought you to California? So you're, you know, you're in the UK and, and coming here is, uh, it's not like it's impossible or anything, but it is different and it is a big move. And, you know, uh, what, what, what took you from London to California? So I met a California girl uh, who was at school in London, just about to graduate, met, fell in love, basically told her wherever she went, I would go. And uh, it just so happens that uh, she was from San Diego and that's not a bad place to live. But so yeah, love, fell madly in love. Um, You know, I've been married to her uh, for 30 years next year. We've got three kids. So I didn't come here for business. I didn't come here for, you know, what America offers. It's like love. That's a good reason. Probably the best of all. And congratulations on 30 years and three kids. That's a quite an accomplishment. Yeah. So that's amazing. And so, you know, you come here and, you know, I, I used to live in Los Angeles and kind of know that whole California area really well. And I still don't even think of San Diego as like an advertising kind of hotspot. You know, I know there is a big economy there. I know there's a lot of people, but, you know, I think if you're coming to the U S for advertising, you're looking at, you know, New York, Miami, Los Angeles, all these bigger metro areas. And so what was it like when you got to San Diego where, you know, you have this experience and did you show up with your, your portfolio and your briefcase ready to tackle the advertising world in in San Diego? What was that all about? Yeah, no, it was very humbling back in, I don't know, 91. It was, uh, you know, it was a city that was revolved around hospitality the military and there were, you know, there were other businesses here, but, um, once you sort of looked around, it was, you're right, it wasn't sort of the hotbed of creativity back then. There were some, there are a couple of really great ad agencies here. There are a couple of great, really, design uh, studios here. And I think uh, what's happened is as San Diego as a city has grown up over the last 20 plus years, the level of entrepreneurial energy and creativity that manifests itself in food, hospitality, technology, healthcare, biotechnology, what the, the, the hotbed of creativity has fueled a community of amazing design-centric companies here. And, uh, you know, I was fortunate to be here when it was, you know, early in that sort of gestation period. And um, I've just been incredibly privileged to, to live here and, you know, do business here, but at the same time, you know, our our business has been very much across the U.S. and you know, outside of the U.S. over the last you know twenty plus years. So we we chose to look outside of San Diego. We needed to look outside of San Diego for business, and uh, that was actually a really good challenge. On reflection, this episode brought to you by Wild Story. Wait. Isn't that your company? It is. And without the generous support of Wild Story, this show would not be possible. A brand isn't a logo or a tagline or even your product. A brand is a person's gut feeling about a product, service, or company. It's what people say about you when you're not in the room. Wild Story helps progressive founders and savvy marketers 
build purpose-driven brands that connect their business goals with the customers they want to serve so that both the business and the customer needs are met. This results in crazy, happy, loyal customers that purchase again and again, and this is great for business. If that sounds like something you and your team might want to learn more about, reach out at www.wildstory.com and we'd be happy to tell you more. Now back to our show. When you came to San Diego, did you start Bulldog Drummond like day one? Were you looking for a job within the advertising community or what were your job prospects like when you when you came here full of love and hope? Uh, so I uh, I actually got a, a, a visa and a job with a, a little design studio and the owner of that business was thrilled that, you know, I had business development and could build a business and you know, I was English. Two days in, realized it was not going to work and uh, started to think about, you know, okay, do I start something on my own? That was incredibly difficult back then. And I was very fortunate. My, uh, my wife's best friend from elementary school, her mother owned a little design business, design and PR business with a, with a friend, and they had a good reputation they had a little portfolio and uh, a little office. And I got introduced to them and I said, hey, listen, give me a, maybe give me a, a desk, a chair and a phone and uh, give me a little bit of time and let me see if I can develop some business and then maybe we can have a conversation. And uh, within about six months, I bought in some business and you know, at the end of the year, we figured out, hey, this was going to be a good thing. And so that was the that was the incredible sort of jumping off point where I was able to, you know, really honor them and at the same time be able to build sort of a, a business infrastructure. So that was in sort of 90, late 92. I spent about three or four years building up a, a team and a portfolio and then launched Bordel Drummond formally in 97. So, you know, the, the, the power of or the benefit of being supported by or encouraged by a good person. I was very fortunate that 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 was the case. Yeah. Who was that person? What was their name? Her name was Anne or is Anne Burke. And she's an incredibly wise Irish-American New Yorker with uh, eight Burks. Um, And uh, my wife actually grew up with their family and they're incredible people. And, uh, you know, eternally grateful to, to Anne and, yeah, no, I was, I was, I was very fortunate. She was fortunate, and I was fortunate. Yeah, and so you, you go off, and you hang your shingle, and you, you launch this firm, Bulldog Drummond. And what did you hope to do with it? Why, why did you start your own firm, and, and what were you looking to do? You know, I think first and foremost, provide a life for my wife and family. Provide a, a great life for my wife and family is goal number one. Is goal number one today. That hasn't changed. But I think to work with interesting people and it was to, um, at the time, it was to create great advertising. It was to design great, you know, visual solutions for people. Today, it's a different thing. Yeah. And so when you when you went into business, did you have a strong sense of like who you were going to serve? Did you know what market you were going to be looking at? Or was it more of a like, hey, we're just out here and we're, we're hungry and we're taking, we're, we're taking business from anybody? I think to start with, it was certainly that. 
to get going. And it was literally getting going with nothing. And then it became, let's work in sport. Let's work in fashion. Let's work in entertainment. Let's work in, you know, healthcare to start with, to build a creative reputation. And, um, you know, early on, it was very much about the dynamic nature of the work that you created, built your reputation. So it was early on, it was how you do that and what type of clients do you do it with. And we were very fortunate. We won, uh, won some great uh, early business. Uh, Virgin was uh, a key client of ours for about 10 years. And, you know, it was really sort of a, a magnet both for talent and it was a uh, a tool to actually demonstrate our creativity as we were growing. Yeah, and that must have been extremely exciting and what a what a great brand to work with. And as you started, I mean, was it a success from day one or were you were you kind of holding it all together? Were you worried, you know, at any given time that hey, this thing might not work? And you just shared with me the number one driver for that business was to take care of your family. So th- those are some big stakes. Those are real stakes. You know, this isn't like, you know, ego and stuff like that, or, you know, whatever. But like your family's at stake here. And so were you ever concerned like, Hey, like this thing might not work or like, or I, I hope it works or like, where were you on that? I think there's always a sort of a, this driving question of, you know, is, are you going to be in business? Are you going to be successful? I think the type of any service business is like having a bucket with a hole in and you're constantly filling it up because you're not selling products per se that people are buying. <laughs> but I, I would say that that anxiety, if you like, was what certainly fuel drove my energy to keep moving the business forward. And, uh, you know, I, I, I've sort of always operated from the, the premise of you're not entitled. People don't give you anything. You have to earn respect. You have to earn your way. Um, and it's, you know, it's tough. So it's, it's, been a, it's been a great journey, but along the way, all along the way, that fuel of, hey, I have a payroll to make. I have, um, beyond my family, I have a business family that I'm responsible for. So that, that certainly motivates you, for sure. Absolutely. And, you know, I'm, I'm going to make an assumption. You can correct me if I'm wrong, but like, I get the sense that you, you really love what you do and you, you really love this field of design and brand. And so, you know, assuming that to be true and, and, you know, what, what do you love about it? Like, we're like, why, why do you, you've been in it for a long time. You've been, you know, you, you, you've been in it by choice. Like, what do you love? What do you love about it? So I think coming from a, a country where, you know, there was always this, maybe I'm sorry, go back to what I was saying earlier to come to a, uh, a country and be in a, in a profession where anything's possible and you can play a role in working with entrepreneurs or you can work with the leaders of multi-billion dollar national, international companies and you can help add value, move things forward through the power of design and communication and collaboration. It really does, it never gets old because if you're fascinated by the challenge and you're fascinated by the people you work with, they are always different. Um, there's similarities, but the marketplace is different. The customers are different. The stage of business is different. The stage of technology is different. The personalities are different. The cultural challenges inside of a company. So it's always different. And I have terrible ADD. 
and, you know, sort of have this serial entrepreneurial want to solve, want to create, want to fix. And so it feeds that sort of incessant need to jump into things and create. And then there's the fascination with beauty expressed in designing solutions and, uh, you know, improving lives and making, helping in small ways to make the world a better place. So I think there's no better place for somebody that's got a little ADD, it's got that energy for creating things. It's a great place to be. Yeah, I always describe it a little bit as like this, like uh, ability to always have new love. You know, you can always fall fall in love again and again with a different, you know, leadership team brand idea. Like you get to just like, you know, and you, you just get to kind of re- redo that over and over again. And uh, I really resonate with with what you're saying. And so, when you talk about brand, like, how do you define brand? Like, what's your what's your definition of of brand? So I think it is it's multi dimensional and. Uh, you know, in its most simplest form, it used to mean it was a promise. It is the the manifestation of a broad series of things that sort of end up in a consumer's mind in terms of the way they think about a product, a company, or a service. But I think one simple way that I like to think about brand is a brand is like a person. And, you know, a person is like a brand, meaning... There's a, we're searching for a reason why we exist. We have a purpose in the world. We go out and live into that purpose. We have a personality that is distinct. We have a set of values that guide how we think about things and how we operate. And then we have relationships with people that, you know, we're, we're either in positive, negative, or non-relationship with. And I think brands are very similar. They have a they have a, a strategic or a dimensional core to them. They're inherently, they have a human characteristic. This is at least one way of thinking about it from my perspective. It's like, why does it exist? What does it go do in the world? You know, what values it adding? How does it show up? How do people experience it? How does it live in their lives? So I, I think brand is an incredible asset that when understood and when defined and unlocked, Actually, you you see it, we see it transform companies and teams. They believe in it, they get behind it, they come to work every day because they get be they really are invested and engaged in it in a relationship with it. And the same is true with consumers. Yeah, and I couldn't agree more. And everyone loves uh, transformation and engagement. But what's hard about it? Like, what don't we know about this thing, brand? Like, like if you know, I mean, I'm sure we'd all be all be doing it. Every business would be doing it well if they could. So, so what's hard about it? You know, I th- I think that uh, inside of organizations, you have different levels of awareness and understanding of all the disciplines, whether it's finance, whether it's law, whether it's regulation for manufacturing or whether it's for marketing or whether it's for brand. And depending on the people that are stewarding an organization, the appreciation for what an incredibly well-articulated, framed out, executed brand looks like can be challenging. So I think part of our job is always to try to recognize the level of awareness and understanding and be a good guide to help the teams understand what it can do for their their organization and their constituents. 
you know, I think it's hard when it's viewed superficially. But I think the level of understanding has, you know, in the last two or three years is people are very much aware of what it can do for a business. Yeah, we're kind of in the the golden age or golden era, if you will. It's like uh, people are, are finally hearing and understanding what, what it is and, and what it isn't. And so, you know, as we're talking, I, I was thinking about how you started this interview and talking about, you know, Bulldog Drummond's been around for 23 years. You've been doing this for a long time. And it got me to thinking about just like relevancy and staying relevant. And like, how does, like, like that's something that always just like is on the top of my mind is, is like, how do you continue to stay relevant? How do you continue to reinvent yourself? And so how does Bulldog Drummond do it? How do you, you know, stay relevant and kind of keep, keep on the pulse of what's going on? You calling me old? <laughs> Not at all. Not at all. <laughs> No, you know, it's it's a fantastic question because I think back to brand, you have to be relevant. And I think the world that we live in today, it's not that brands have to be relevant, but you have to be current. You have to be engaged in culture. You have to be engaged in the world that's around you. And I think back to your question about why I still love what I do. I and we as a company, we are forced to be relevant and curious and students of what is now. We are also um, challenged with our clients to solve big business challenges. And so in doing that, you learn. In doing that, you're collaborating with team members uh, inside of organizations and your own so that you're always learning. You're always sort of moving forward. So I think that that plus being self-aware and not not getting, you know, so caught up in, hey, we're good, but versus we've always got something to learn. And I think that sort of humility actually makes us like watch where we are in the the zeitgeist. It makes us look at where we are in the flow of business. Yeah. And so as you you think back across that body of work that you alluded to, um, I won't make you pick an absolute favorite, but what's a piece of work that you're really, really proud of that, you know, you look back and you're like, you know, it's kind of like the full expression of Sean Parr and his team. I think there's two for me. One is I was fortunate to go to Africa in 2006 and the trip was to understand the impact of hunger and the impact of HIV. And we came back and we were, we had a project that was literally how do you represent the impact of HIV on a continent and various constituents on that continent. And we were able to develop the concept for a traveling exhibit that was inspired by a a trip to the Apartheid Museum. And it was highly experiential where you would walk through the lives of, listen to the lives of different people who contracted or didn't contract HIV AIDS. And that, that raised awareness, understanding, and a significant amount of money. So... That was a project that I'm, I'm, I think made me think about the type of work we do in a meaningful way. That trip made me think about the role that we play because we transitioned from being an ad agency into a, you know, a design and innovation consulting business as a result of sort of that trip and our work with Virgin, which was a, a real interesting mashup of sort of forces that made, made me think about where we were going. And then I would say the, the second um, piece of work is um, 
we helped to start a, we founded a, a business called the U School, which is a social and emotional learning platform that is very much about helping high school kids, college kids, people in transition figure out where they're going. So it's a construct of self-awareness with self-confidence leading to self-direction in very simple terms, but it's a curriculum-based platform. So putting all the learning that we'd had from a business perspective, from a family life perspective into a product. So yeah, the two that come to mind. Yeah, the, those are those are amazing. But flipping the script a little bit, uh, is there one that broke your heart? Like, is there one that you can remember where it just didn't pan out the the way you wanted it to, or it just left you kind of sad and bummed out? You know, I'm, I, personally, I've been so fortunate across all the years. Uh, and I, I wouldn't say there was any one that left me sad that way, but there was a, a multi-billion dollar technology company that uh, my uh, creative director and I uh, had the privilege of traveling to um, Prague and you know the UK and another part of the US and um, they were foreign owned and uh, these people were just rude. I mean, we, we busted our backsides for these people. It was a big project. Um, and um, yeah, they, that was just, I think that was the, the, the one time in 23 years where I experienced rudeness. So yeah, that was, that was sad for them, not for us, because we laugh about it at this point. If I told you the story, you pee your pants, we don't have enough time. But yeah, these, these people were just rude. Well, you know, that's a pretty good track record if in 23 years that's, that's, that's what you have. So that's really, really awesome. So what does Bulldog Drummond look like today? Like what's the makeup of the business? What kind of clients are you working with? Um, so we went through a, I don't know, repositioning, re-examining the role we play in the world about 18 months ago. And especially with climate and the social issues that are affecting the world, we said, you know, how can we make a difference? And our sort of position as a company is we get up every day to try to help leaders become a force for good inside of their organizations. So we believe, like many people today, that businesses, companies, leaders in companies are the biggest change agents in society. We have you know, the ability to move culture. We have the ability to move systems and not necessarily have to rely on government. Another conversation, but so Bulldog, we, we work with uh, the C-suite executives across a, a large range of you know, significant companies. So what we look like today is a company that we, our expertise is in brand and brand into innovation and people and culture into customer experience, into social impact and sustainability. They're the practice areas that we operate in. And we are part of a, um, a three-group studio today that uh, has offices in, uh, in Irvine and Chicago. And we, we joined forces about three years ago. And so as a consulting studio, we now have you know, partners in digital transformation, digital innovation, digital products and commerce. And so we have the ability to sort of affect the entire 
customer experience or the connected customer experience, you know, if needed. But what's at our heart is actually moving the world forward through the work that we do, making the world a better place through the work we do. And so what's your biggest challenge right now with that? I think that um, the move and the speed at which digital transformation is affecting some businesses, you know, I don't see that as a challenge. I see that as a as a as the natural next step for where business is going. I think helping the challenge that we have is helping companies be aware of what's around the corner while they're while they're dealing with the current reality of you know pandemic, the current reality of you know remote working and such. Yeah, and has the pandemic uh, had a big impact on your business? We've been very fortunate. Uh, I would say we have a, a sort of a diverse client um, uh, portfolio. We have, you know, organizations that are in technology and food and beverage um, and healthcare. We had clients that were very active in hospitality. So we, um, I think like the, the rest of the world, we had a shock to the system in, um, you know, in March and early April. And since have been extremely, you know, busy and engaged across a wide range of categories. Yeah. So what are you most excited about right now or looking forward to maybe would be an even better question? You know, I think when a dear friend of mine who uh, is, a, is a comedian, he posted something today and it was a picture of this uh, woman in the 20s. And she was in her 20s get up. It's a black and white photograph. And he said, remember, when this was over, the roaring 20s happened and joy is just around the corner. And so I think what I'm excited by is the, much like, you know, back in the early 90s, and I think about San Diego then and today, the unleashed creativity that is, and the natural joy that is going to come out of humans when we conquered this restriction that is around us today. We, I don't think we're ever going to go back to the way it was, but there will be a new normal and the new normal has happened like throughout history. So what happens as a result, the, um, the connectivity and the, the joy, the humor, the music, the art, the culture that is going to come in the next you know, two, three, four years is going to be fantastic to participate in and experience. So, Sean, as you, as you think about yourself back in London as young eight-year-old boy helping your dad open up those farmer's markets and getting up early at 4 a.m., or maybe you were a little older than that, like, if he, you know, if he saw you today, what do you think he'd say? He would say, uh, life is short, you know, make sure you're enjoying, you know, the here and now and not always thinking about tomorrow. I think he'd say you did all right, and uh, yeah, no, I, I, I think he's he he was he always had these sort of anecdotes. You can never put a you know a young head on old shoulders or an old head on young shoulders, but you know I think he would he would say you know just make sure you in, in, enjoy every day. He would say be brilliant. And that is Sean Parr of Bulldog Drummond. I hope you heard, I mean really heard Sean's call. That business, that design, 
is the platform for change, that we can design our way over, around, and through some of our biggest social and cultural issues. Think about that for a moment. There is a way forward. It's not easy. It's not obvious. But with some curiosity and intent, design is the tool that furthers our purpose. A big thank you to Sean Parr of Bulldog Drummond. After our interview, Sean shared a story of how he was looking at an old picture of a young woman from the 20s dressed in her flapper outfit. And then it reminded him that those roaring times came after a really dark and tough time. And that on the other side of our time will be our version of the 20s, where creativity and innovation will bloom. Soon we'll turn the corner and we'll all be wearing our roaring 20s flapper outfits. We will link to all things Sean and Bulldog Drummond in the show notes. And if you know of a guest who should appear on our show, please drop me a line at podcast at wildstory.com. Our best guests, like Sean, come from referrals from past guests and our listeners. Well, that's the show. Until next time. Make sure to visit our website, www.wildstory.com, where you can subscribe to the show in iTunes, Stitcher, or via RSS, so you'll never miss an episode. A lot of big stories and I cannot lie, you other storytellers can't deny. 